0: extraordinary leader. innovative integrity creative curious thoughtful brave unafraid there is a place where technology and art meet where work and play are one and the same when the threads of curiosity are pulled in this place the spark of innovation ripples across industries those who make this place their home are giants titans who pursue creative passion while leaving their mark
1: creative flexible brilliant clever confident
0: They are courageous thought leaders set on changing the practice of dentistry and their corner of the world. More than the sum of their parts, we deconstruct the traits that bind these uncommon innovators humble, daring, disciplined, playful, principled, spontaneous Spontaneous. to discover what makes them contrary to ordinary, where we explore the extraordinary. Hi there. I'm Dr. Kim Cooch, host and founder at Carry Free. I'm fascinated by what makes the paradigm shifters, world shakers, and art makers tick. Let's embark on a journey. Extraordinary is a place where ordinary people choose to exist. Together, we will trek the peaks of possibility, illuminate the depths of resilience, and navigate the boundless landscape of innovation to discover how some of the most innovative dentists and thought leaders unlock their potential and became extraordinary. On this season of Contrary to Ordinary, we'll continue to explore the motivation, lives, and character of the innovators who see limitless potential around them. In this episode, we're going to head back to dentistry and talk to someone I really admire. But before I start, I'd like to ask you a question. What do Albert Einstein, Coco Chanel, and Thomas Edison have in common? During their studies, they were all seen as difficult students. They looked at the rigid systems that they were part of and rejected them. Now we see them as innovators and pioneers whose achievements ring through history. Questioning education paradigms is something that today's guest, Dr. Graham Millisich, is all too familiar with. He's practiced dentistry for over 40 years and began challenging existing practices during his time in dental school. Today, Graham is known around the world for his pioneering work in minimally invasive dentistry. He's an expert in the fields of minimal intervention, carries risk assessment, and management of minimal intervention restorative techniques. He's a diplomat and founding board member of the World Congress of Minimally Invasive Dentistry, the WCMID. He's also a fellow master and board member of the World Clinical Laser Institute and a founding board member and honorary lifetime member of the New Zealand Institute of Minimal Intervention Dentistry. I had the pleasure of interviewing Graham in his native New Zealand, and we began our conversation back to where it all began, his childhood.
1: My father had a concrete factory, and so when we were in our early teens, we got put to work in that place, and that was just hard labor and one day I was having a chat with my dad and he said you've got two choices you can earn money with your back or you can earn it with your brain I'm just trying to prove to you that earning it with your back's really really hard I was very artistic as a kid we were building lots of model planes and boats and model yachts and flying them all and carrying on and so getting into dentistry which was just a little bit more detail was just an extension of what I was already doing and loving
0: and you were pretty curious
1: as a kid as well Oh, very much so yeah um Got given chemistry sets as a youngster. It was lucky we didn't burn the house down. But, yeah, <laughs> had a ball playing around with all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, I was just inquisitive. A little task my dad pointed me at, he he wanted some little pluggers to take out um, lawn plugs for Mercury Bay weed, And so I designed and built two of them. At this stage, I would have been about 13 or 14. Uh-huh. And I'd already learned how to weld and use all the heavy tools and equipment at the concrete factory. So he just put me to work and um, it was fun. So... That was one of your favorite things to do as a kid, was kind of just build things and create things? You would look at a problem and go,
0: oh, I've got an idea.
1: Yeah, how do I solve that? Like, right, we were in our very early teens, already rebuilding car motors and stuff, and so it was always mechanically inclined. So did little six-year-old Graham want to be a dentist, or
0: when did the whole dentistry thing come into your life?
1: I got to the point I had to make a decision, because I was going to university, and what am I going to do with it? Because I knew I didn't want to work in the concrete factory. I didn't want to be in an office on my own. I wanted to be with people. And I looked at medicine, and in New Zealand here, you could see it coming. The government was going to own all of the doctors, and they were going to dictate how you lived your life, basically. Yeah. Whereas in New Zealand, dentistry is totally private. The government has nothing to do with this, basically, apart from treating schoolchildren. So I opted for that. Not quite knowing what I was getting into, Uh but because I've got a very strong artistic bent as well, um, it was actually a really, really good fit with dentistry because you could express your artistic side with the quality of work you were doing. Looking at dentists and, you know, having been a dentist, I think dentists are
0: all artists at heart, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, there's a great deal of, you know, when we talk about the art and science of dentistry, there's truly an art there. There's Mm -hmm. an art form, right? So you were curious as a child, you were creative, you were a visionary and you would see things and start to build and create stuff.
1: that describe you pretty well? Whenever new technology came along, I would look very, 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 very closely at it. I was minimally invasive dentist right from the day I graduated. In fact, one of the companies kept complaining because I kept ordering these quarter round carbide slow speed bursts. They had a pinhead on the end. Oh, of yeah. And um, I ordered some once, and I says, oh, yeah, what's happened to my order? They said, oh, we've got to indent them. You're the only dentist in New Zealand that uses these. <laughs> and this was back in the 70s. And so I was constantly hunting for technology that would let me do quality, minimally invasive work. And it really wasn't until I ran into one of my earlier mentors, Tim Rainey, and air abrasion uh-huh. that I, the moment I saw it, it was like, They've solved my problem. Uh-huh. That was a, one of the real moments. Uh, there was a uh, dentist, Stuart Rosenberg, came out to New Zealand and he was talking about it and you were out talking about it and it was, oh, man, I've f- I f- I found people to follow. you found well, found people that thought like you did. Yeah, and, and suddenly it was like you could have a conversation and they weren't looking at you like you had two heads.
0: Yeah, so... We mentioned, Tim, or any other mentors that have had kind of a profound influence on you? and
1: Yeah, well, I'm sitting opposite one of the, my best mentors. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank, well, thank you very much, Graham, <laughs> for that compliment. I did a lot of laser re- hard tissue laser research, uh-huh. and I couldn't find answers for most of the questions I had. And so I went back into all the old dental textbooks, and there was this um, professor, uh, Jeff Osborne, kept coming up in all of these old anatomical textbooks, And so I hunted him down on the internet and he was working at Alberta, Canada as a professor there. Uh So I contacted him and he says, well, who are you? And I explained it and then I sent him some of my SEM images and it was like, he was going, oh my God. I said, I want you to teach me what I'm looking at here because I don't understand it. That was a fascinating journey with that gentleman. And you find people that have this knowledge base are really kind and sharing and all they want to do is help And all of my mentors have just been helpful people. Once I got a knowledge base, it was really cool being able to then share that with other people. And mentor other people. And mentor other people. So I was really enjoying working with the younger graduates, getting them up to speed on uh, what you got taught at dental school actually isn't the whole story. Graham was
0: very lucky to have generous mentors who weren't driven by money or fame. They were motivated by something more. Maybe it was the need to help people or to contribute positively to society. I suppose at the end of your life, you can't take the knowledge that you've gained with you. All you can do is pass it on. Moving on, I'd love to know what motivated Graham at the start of his career.
1: I just loved dentistry. It was something I really, really enjoyed and um, I just wanted to share that with as many people as possible and I'd worked out some, I'd come to some crazy conclusions. This isn't working. That's when my brain kicked into gear and um, I started hunting around looking for answers and there weren't a lot of answers out there. Before I even started clinical dentistry, I could see stuff that, that doesn't make sense to me and no one else seemed to be questioning it. That was the frustrating thing. No one was saying, is there another way of doing this? And that's where I got into trouble. (laughs) So
0: what do you think makes you the way you are, Graham? I mean, were you born that way? Or, I mean, is something that's innate to Graham Milicic? That's how God wired you? Or was it something that you learned? Did you learn it from your father? Or that inquisitive, creative, visionary nature that you have? Do you have any idea where it came from?
1: No, I don't. So I think I must have been born with it. Uh-huh. Just that, And my brother's the same. When you look at it from that perspective, there is probably a family overlay from how mum and dad worked with us and dealt with us and taught us what was good and what was bad, what was right, what was wrong. And we were allowed to question. Yeah, yeah. Which, which makes a big difference. If someone shuts down a question... Well, eventually people will stop asking the questions. We never felt like that in our family. You could ask the questions and then if someone didn't have an answer, then we worked out how to find the answer.
0: The more people I speak to, the more I realize that being extraordinary originates somewhere different for everyone. It's the age old question of nature versus nurture. I think it's probably a little of both. One of Graham's extraordinary qualities is his approach to time management. He seems to have it down to a fine art.
1: How does he manage to fit it all in? A lot of my friends would say, where do you find time? I was running a full-time practice and I was doing laboratory research on electron microscopes on um, hard tissue lasers and stuff. And they say, where on earth do you find the time to do all this stuff? And I said, oh, you just don't look at the TV. There's a heap of the day. When you get home, you can do a whole bunch of other stuff without just sitting down and blobbing out and wasting your day.
0: You know, that's one other trait that I find common too in Extraordinary People is that they're very effective at how they organize their time, how they prioritize it. They find a way to get things done without being the workaholic type A that's just at the grindstone day and night. But they actually are able to accomplish and get things done like that. And you know that's not normal. Oh, it felt Um, pretty normal to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was just, it just seemed
0: normal. (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting here, Graham, listening to you and I'm thinking like, okay, you're a general practicing dentist and then in your free time, you are doing research and SEM work on hard tissue lasers. And I know you've done a lot of work with a, a lot of other technologies and stuff. And I'm sitting here thinking like, You're not normal, right? That's not the average dentist doesn't do that kind of stuff. And so I can understand your colleagues looking at you and going, like, what, number one, what are you doing? And number two, why are you doing that? And three, how do you ever have possibly have time to do all that stuff and get all that done?
1: Yeah. And it was, it is just efficiency pretty much. It's like juggling balls. How many can you get up in the air and how long can you keep them there for? Yeah. Every now and then I'd I'd suddenly, uh, hang on, this is just going to get a little bit silly. Let's back off a little bit, leave this bit alone for a while and get some sanity back in my life.
0: (laughs) And that's a really good topic you bring up too. I think that the concept of work-life balance is something that I don't know that anybody has a good handle on that,
1: right? Yeah, it's very easy to lose focus of what you need to be doing to keep a balanced life when you're buried in the, the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day grind. I made a point that the weekends were free. We, I never, ever, ever attacked the weekends with any of my workload Fam, that was family time, we were out skiing and windsurfing and fishing right. and hiking and doing all the other stuff. I mean you've got to not not lose track of your children because you're just bogged down in work.
0: If you're just fully present wherever you are at that moment, if you're fully present for your family or you're fully present at work, And sometimes you have more things that you have to get accomplished at work. You have demands there. Sometimes you have demands that your family really need your time and attention. And I think being able to juggle and just find what I would call appropriate balance.
1: Yeah. It's never going to be perfect. That was something I struggled with very early on in dentistry. I was trying to do perfect dentistry. Uh And this patient still comes to mind sat down in the chair, he had the ugliest set of molar amalgams that you've ever seen, hangovers everywhere. It was a mess. And I looked up what, and I said, I can do better than that. So whipped out. I, lucky I only started on one tooth. Normally I would have that tooth restored in about 20 minutes. An hour later, what I'd finished putting back in there looked worse than what I'd taken out because he was just impossible to work on. Right. And once I realised that, I stopped mentally criticising colleagues' work I yeah. was doing that to myself. I was saying, "Oh, that's a crap job. And suddenly I realized, hey, I can do exactly the same as that, and I'm doing my best. That was a very humbling moment for me. The hardest thing of all is learning how to say no. yeah, to some requests. But I, I remember, but you know over the years I went, I was a continuing education junkie. Uh-huh. We had to do something like over four years we had or three years we had to do eighty hours and I was putting in four or five hundred hours in a year uh-huh. and uh but i got I got very careful at what I went to because after a little while I started realizing someone won't show me their how they got as good as they are because they're up there showing you their beautiful work. Show me your mistakes yeah because I'm going to be making those show yeah. them to me so I can avoid them. Because that was one of the things I used to say to my kids you haven't got enough time to make all of the mistakes that you need to make. Learn from other people's mistakes because you haven't got the time to do it all yourself. So, you brought up the point you were doing a lot of CE.
0: Would you consider yourself a lifelong student, Graham?
1: Oh, yeah, still. Still, even now. What kind of things are you studying today? I still keep poking around in dentistry. Uh, I just can't help myself. <laughs> you can't let I it go, I just can't can <laughs> let it go. Even though I've been, I've, I, I was forced into retirement through a serious back injury six years ago, that was so traumatic because suddenly my life was cut in half. And yeah, there's a lot of research I'd quite like to still be doing, but I just haven't got access to the clinical phase anymore, which is really disappointing. We've replaced it with other stuff. We now spend hours and hours and hours on our mountain bikes and <laughs> And that's, I mean, part, part of all of that exercise stuff is, is the mental health side of it. Because uh-huh. dentistry is actually, it's very easy to get yourself down a little dark rabbit hole, a black hole in dentistry if things, if things aren't going well at your practice or you're struggling to cope with stuff. And um, keeping a mental equilibrium is really, really important in dentistry.
0: I think it's really important for us to keep our eye on what's important in life, Right. But also I know just how important it is to be outside and to keep your body moving. Like that seems to be really important in mental health, I think, for all of
1: us. And dentistry is the absolute opposite. You're sitting there stuck doing micro-movements, destroying your body.
0: Not being able to do what we love anymore is tough. Shifting focus and realigning ourselves takes time. It's not about getting over it, we gradually just move to a place a little closer to acceptance every day. As Graham reflects on his career, I wonder, what does he see as his proudest
1: achievement? Probably the thing I'm proudest of is this concept that we started teaching several years ago on the compression dome concept Uh and how it completely changed adhesive restorative dentistry. It just tipped it on its head. Suddenly, we were trying to teach people that you should never, ever prep a full crown prep ever again. There is no need to.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about that in a a second, Graham. I want to talk about the compression dome. Listening to you, there's so much joy in your voice as you talk about dentistry. Like, it's palpable. I mean, I can feel it, right? Did you ever feel like you had a job?
1: It never felt like I was going to a job. I was going to have fun and play. It was the patient interaction that was always so rewarding. When we started out with um, our caries management program, when we started working with you guys and brought that back to New Zealand uh, and started incorporating into my practice, and then you get a patient that walks through the door after they've been on it for a couple of years, and they and this I can remember the stage she came. And she, the first thing she did before she even said hello was gave me a big hug. I says, "Oh, what's that for?" She said, "You know what? The last three years since you've shown me how to care for my mouth properly, she says I've gone from spending a thousand dollars each year to spending nothing." Yeah. She said, "Thank you."
0: Yeah, that feels good, doesn't That's,
1: it? So I mean that was that was an actual fact. That was the reward for me for dentistry. Uh huh. Was the patient feedback, how grateful they were for what we were doing for them. So you really,
0: sincerely, what drives you is just helping people. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty much it. It no, Was it never
1: about money or fame? Or Well, with regards to um, money, money was never the driver, though that happened. And uh, as, I, was yeah. teaching, as I was mentoring the young bucks, uh, as the, and women and men, as they came through, trying to point out that if you get really good at what you do, And look after the people, because patients don't care what you know. They want to know that you care. And uh, when you get the hang of that, you will never run out of work. And if you understand how, you know, we'll teach you how to do the business side of things. The money is actually, it just happens. And that's what happened in my practice. I never had goals or targets. I just did the very best I could do all the time. And the money happened. But I know that you published some of the earliest work on the Diagnodent. There was an article I wrote for the New Zealand Dental Journal. I'd had the Diagnodent for about six months. There was nothing really in the literature that taught you even how to use it properly, let alone what it was telling you. I did an enormous amount of research because at that point I was using micro abrasion and operating microscopes so I could record stuff at 15 times magnification. And when you showed people this stuff, they really almost didn't believe you. And the paper I wrote for the, the New Zealand Dental Journal... They came back with six points that they wanted me to take out, which meant the article was then just a piece of toilet paper. It was just a waste of time. My reply back to um, them was was twice the volume of the paper I'd written just to get these six points kept in. Luckily, they kept them in and they published the paper. And then the crazy thing is from there, I started building an education CD on how to use the Diagnodent, Uh which CAVO then Picked up and they used for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years. It might yeah. still even be available because the information in there has not gone out of date. It's, it's just pure observation, clinical observation tied to what we were, the diagnosis was telling us. And then we just started to correlate it. And I made this big CD and um, it's been out there for, well, since 96, I think it was.
0: One of the things I've identified is like innovators, disruptors like yourself kind of end up walking this fine line between being a visionary and being a heretic. One of the things that when you try and change existing paradigms and you're leading that process, you become the target, right? So you end up with challenges that you have, but then you also end up with a lot of criticism and arrows in your You know, best term, <laughs> arrows in your the, back. There right?
1: is a phrase I use when I'm lecturing, like when I first started it, uh, with abrasion and the Diagnodent, yeah, I had that many arrows in my back from my local colleagues because they didn't understand what I was doing. Eventually, I made the offer and they accepted it that I did a full day lecture to our branch. Uh-huh. And they pretty much all came along. And I took along my operating microscope, air abrasion system, and right at the very end, I'd kept two molars that we'd extracted that looked perfect. Uh-huh. I put the diagnodent on them and they, they, these were both bombs. And I handed it around 120 dentists with the probes and it came back, 120 dentists agreed, these were decay-free teeth. At heart and mouth, I turned on the operating microscope and said, here we have this 10-foot tooth up on the projector as I'm opening it up live. And they were bombs. And everyone in the room went, oh my God, look at that. And I said, this is what we're missing with our, our diagnostic tools that we've got at the moment. Don't work at this level. Yeah. So how do you deal with those challenges, Graham? When I do my lecturing and teaching, the the first probably two hours, I'm destroying dentistry. I'm tearing it to pieces, showing all of the things that we're doing wrong, why the teeth are fracturing. But if you do that, you can't stop at that point because then you do have all the arrows in your back. Right. So I spend the next six hours giving better options and showing people what's available and how we can use our modern adhesive technology and stuff. And if you give them a a logical alternative, Uh some people will go back and run with it. Others will sweep it under the carpet because it's too hard to assimilate but I try to make it as simple as possible. So I keep it at a conversational level. There was a university in the States I got invited to because I was on a CAD camp forum teaching this compression dome concept and the um, almost flat top crown, not quite. Uh-huh. And um, I did this presentation because one of the professors was on this forum and he was seeing what I was doing. Could you please come and teach us at the school? And I get an email about three weeks later and say, well, and the dean had been sitting in on it and they said, we've completely revised our restorative program. Uh, we no longer teach full crown preps as the first option. The first option now is a um, CAD CAM onlay. Yeah. And um, so that was that, you know what, that was probably one of the nicest moments of my life because I changed the school. Right. And changing the school, you changed. Cha- everyone that goes through it now is yeah. being shown a new way.
0: Albert Einstein once said, if you can't explain it simply, then you don't understand it well enough. Graham helped his students learn by visualizing things, breaking it down into smaller chunks. That's his legacy passed on to the next generation. Graham has experienced lots of success over the years, but is there anything in his career that he regrets?
1: I could have built a bigger practice. I could have built an empire and all, all right. that sort of stuff. But that wasn't my forte. Yeah, Managing a big team of people, mm-hmm. because I'm a bit of a wussy, I, I tend to see the best in people. And yeah, we had a few incidents. We had staff that were an issue because I I accepted them at face value and thought that they thought like I did. And then you discover a lot of people don't think like you do. And then you can run into some hiccups there. So, but, you're, tr-
0: so you're a trusting and optimistic individual.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: You know, it's, Graham, I think that's an admirable trait. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe
1: that as a wussy, I would say. I oh, know, but I got burnt by, I, you know, I like I trust some, what patients would say sometimes oh, yeah. and I got oh, burnt yeah. because they didn't follow through on what they promised and all that sort of stuff. But I always took people at face value. Yeah. You know, don't judge people.
0: What kind of goals do you have for the rest of your life, Graham? I mean, things that.
1: Just to keep my health going so I can enjoy what we, yeah, just to keep enjoying what we're doing as much as anything. And, um, the little bit of teaching i can help with still but yeah, that's getting more difficult as time goes by because i've lost clinical contact uh-huh. what sort of stuck with the um, people that were looking at my lectures was i was showing only my work and i was showing my mistakes as well as the successes and how i made the why i made the decisions i did now that i can't generate any more of that sort of imaging it's uh, it's a little bit frustrating because you now i'm just it's just the old stuff from six years ago but you know what if I, If I'd started this journey thirty years ago on the compression dome, it wouldn't have changed. It still would be exactly what I'm teaching now, because it's basic. Mother Nature's made all the rules, and it's just basic engineering. The Romans worked it all out two thousand years ago how to build a compression dome, and it survives every earthquake that comes through Rome, and it's still the Colosseum or the the Pantheon still there. Yeah. They knew how to do it. And we worked out, once we got a high speed drill and diamond burrs, we worked out how to destroy it in a couple of seconds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Un-
1: unwittingly. Yeah. Not knowing. It was yeah, just, yeah. we weren't doing it deliberately. We just yeah, did yeah. it out of um, yeah, the lack of information uh-huh. and materials that were driving us to do things that teeth didn't like. Yeah. Like the amalgam cavity is not designed to go in a tooth. So who inspires you the most at the moment? Oh, oh, once again, several of my mentors, you included, and Ray Bertolotti. I look back, uh, someone that didn't mentor me, but I followed very closely was Pascal Marnier. Oh, right. Uh, And I can remember a comment he made um, when I was sort of struggling with all of what I was doing and trying to find the science to support what I was doing. And he says, sometimes it's not the science, it's just common sense. And that's, that's how it's always felt to me. I look at this stuff and go, this is just common sense. It's logical. Why can't people see it? And that's, that was my frustration rather than anything else. Right. And common sense today seems to be pretty uncommon, quote oh, unquote, right? No, there's lots of people with it, but it's just they've got common sense somewhere else. And that was where, that's just where my common sense locked in. I mean,
0: science begins in observation, mm-hmm. right? But not everybody sees it. Like they look at it and don't know what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. And so they don't see it,
1: right? Would you agree with that? Oh, yes, very much. That, that was sort of what was happening a lot with my laser research. I'd sort of worked out what was going on with teeth when you were using an erbium laser on them. Uh-huh. And um, I was taking it back to the company that I was doing the research for and saying, why do you think this looks like that? And they, mm, I don't know. They, they hadn't worked out what the issue was. It wasn't a problem. It was just physics and you can't change physics. And uh, once I explained it to them, I went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and so i, I <laughs> it was funny. I could remember a, a, a meeting I was having and I was trying to explain something and there was a they had a new physicist there and he said, oh, hang on, I see what this guy does. He's already worked it out. Now he's doing the re- backwards research to prove what he's already worked out in his head. <laughs> and that's thats pretty much how I've always been. So you took, you, you looked at something... And then worked back to try and see. Yeah, I'd work, I looked at it, knowing what was going on, worked out what had happened. Now, how do I prove this scientifically? So that's when I got about 4,000 SEM images of lazed teeth now.
0: <laughs> 4,000. Yeah. Wow. What do you think the secret to happiness is, Graham? Oh,
1: we're always searching for it. Uh huh. Um, I don't know if I've totally ever found it. I think family and um, a happy relationship are probably the most important things in my life. Right. And uh, you realise as you get older, and you, I mean, your friendships, your friends, that, that's part of it as well. Right. But um, I think the core is um, family relationships, uh-huh. and because in the end, when you when you reach the end, there's probably just your family left. I think that's the beauty of life. Everybody gets to make their own
0: definition of what happiness is in that you know for them what success looks like for them. You know, everybody gets to define that you know their own life and pursue that, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Yep. And then and then just to be able to get out and enjoy life and do have fun, go traveling.
0: I think we often look for happiness in great deeds and career success. But ultimately, it's love, family, and our friends who are the key to a good life. Graham now speaks internationally about minimally invasive dentistry, but he wasn't always so confident in his communication abilities.
1: Once I got to the point where I could start teaching this whole minimally invasive concept, which really was fired up by air abrasion and the Diagnodent, Uh I couldn't talk to two people. I was petrified. And... I thought, you know what, I, I had such a passion about this that I thought, I've just got to suck this up and learn how to do it. And I was very lucky. I had a very supportive local branch. I lectured to them several times, sort of, for want of a better description, cutting my teeth on, on uh-huh. lecture, you know, speaking to slides and stuff. And I was lucky I started once PowerPoint was around, so I didn't have to fluff around with carousels. I don't think I would have done it otherwise. And, yeah, that, that was the start of uh my lecturing journey and i just i just persisted and persevered read read how to how to build lectures without it putting everyone to sleep uh Uh, and that's where i learned that humor i mean with what i was doing because it was so challenging to yeah we were breaking down paradigms and when you start to do that people start to put up a wall And as you're doing this, particularly the first part of my lecture, when you're doing it, you actually start to see people starting to shut down. And I then learned this is where you've you've got to use humor. And so I started injecting a lot of humor, funny videos and all sorts of stuff into my lectures, because as soon as you got the audience laughing, they opened up and then you had another 15 minutes or so that you could sort of hit them with some more nasty stuff Uh from one of a better description. Uh, More challenging things. Uh, the, the, challenge, the stuff that was challenging yeah, that yeah. people would say, "Nah, no, nah, I don't agree with you," but once we closed that argument um, and finished off with something funny again, they were very receptive then to the, "Okay, this is where we're going now," and they at the end of it all is like the most common feedback I had was like, one of the one of the best feedbacks I had from a lecture feedback was. The guy just wrote one word on his on his thing. He said, he just put down epiphany.
0: Wow, the light went on for he him. He saw it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And he used humor. And You've got a great sense of humor, Graham. I have to. Oh, uh, it gets me
1: in trouble. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> but you have a great sense of humor, and and I think that's another trait I, I think about extraordinary people is they don't take themselves too seriously, right? Like they allow themselves to be human. They tend to be very humble, and they also have a great sense of humor about things. They're able to laugh at things and laugh at themselves. And, and oh, that's go,
1: critical. You have to be able to laugh at yourself because otherwise, life just gets far too serious.
0: And not being afraid to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Being able to venture out and go. Well, you know that didn't work. You know I tried this, and so that was the wrong approach. So I'm going to rather than just shut down and quit. They go, okay, well that didn't work, but let's try this over here. What are two of the most important values to you? Love and honesty. I get that totally. Your love for other people and and honesty. So you're a truth teller.
1: You're a truth seeker. That's integrity. If you remain true to yourself, yeah, and you're honest with what you're telling people, they might not agree with you. Yeah, uh, you've got to accept that. You cannot. You cannot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Have wills. everyone agree with you? Um, yeah. That's just that's a human human nature, but. As as, as long as you're honest, but believe in yourself, you're honest to yourself and all of those around you, that's the best you can do. There's a young guy I mentored and he, right from the day he got out of dental school, he was in a practice that was doing what we were teaching Uh and he was just a sponge. He he absolutely flew with it. He understood it. Uh And uh, the cool thing now is he is now mentoring people. Which is, I mean, now that makes me feel really good. Yeah. Because here's someone that's grasped it to the depth that he's comfortable teaching it now. Yeah. Um, and that, that's fantastic in my mind.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's got to feel good, Graham. So let me ask you a couple of just last questions and we're going to close here. What's one thing about you that you don't think most people know?
1: Oh, I got a sweet tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I like chocolate. <laughs> um, I, one thing I'll never be is an anorexic. <laughs> um, yeah. One one thing. Oh yes, I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think I've even got any secrets from myself.
0: <laughs> so you, <laughs> so you kind of live openly. I mean, kind of what you see is what you get. Yep, pretty much. You're you're kind of just here. I am. A, this yeah, is me. If, take, love take, me or leave me. Yep,
1: that's yep. pretty much how I've operated all my life. This is this is me. I'm not going to. Change myself just because your perception is um you don't know, like might, this trait about me, yeah. those have all been beaten out of me by the family already, yeah
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, no man's no man's uh you know, like what the, a, a prophet in his own home, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your kids are like, hey, yeah, I don't care if I, whatever, go take out the garbage dad or dad, dad do this, or dad do that, or your wife looks at, and yeah yeah it's
1: uh, it's pretty funny and
0: and that keeps us. Humble and human, I think. Yes. I think that's a good thing.
1: You have to be very, very careful when you do understand that you've got a knowledge base that's sort of, in certain, I mean, it's in a tiny little area, but you have a, a knowledge base that's different from most Yeah. to um, not get full of yourself over it. Yep.
0: So, Graham... Um, in closing, here anything else you want to add? In this con, we've had thank you so much. We've had an amazing conversation here. You've shared all your thoughts and ideas about extraordinary, extraordinary people. Anything else you want to add?
1: Well, I just well, yes, because my goal has been to get this whole minimal intervention compression dome concept out there. Is if you've listened to this and you don't know what the heck we're going on about. Get online and look it up because there's a heap of stuff out there now that, and there's some very, very good teachers out there that are advancing this whole cause. Um, there's big organisations um, uh, in America, uh, in Europe, there's a whole lot of um, organisations out that are really, really pushing minimal intervention dentistry. Uh-huh. And I just implore all of my colleagues, go out, find out about it, and don't discard it because this is where dentistry is going whether you want it to or not so you're either on the train or it's left the station
0: well thank you so much graham milicic for spending this time with us here today exploring the extraordinary and thank you all for tuning in and listening with us and if you do one thing today let it be extraordinary I think everyone could be a little more mindful of doing less harm. Harm to ourselves, our peers, and to the environment. It's trailblazers like Graham, who is using his expertise to move us along a kinder path. And we could certainly use more people like that. I'd like to thank my friend, Dr. Graham Milicich, for speaking with me today. The work that you've done in the world of minimally invasive dentistry has and will continue to change lives. And thank you for coming on this journey with me today. Around here, we aim to inspire and create connections. We can't do it without you. If this conversation moved you, made you smile, or scratched that little itch of curiosity today, please share it with the extraordinary people in your life. And if you do one thing today, let it be extraordinary.